0: never would have heard me say about four years ago. Uh, Let's open up in a word of prayer this morning. God, we thank you for this worship that we had this morning. I thank you that we can come to you and freely express our love and our adoration for you. I pray that this morning your word would speak to us. I pray that uh, the scripture that we're going to study this morning would have authority in our life and that instead of me having authority, Lord, that it would be you I pray that we could take something home practical, something real that every one of us have to deal with. I pray that you just uh, bless this time that we have together studying your word in your name. Amen. I'm going to talk about something this morning uh, that may seem like a little bit of a generic subject, because like Mark said, we talk about this kind of stuff a lot in church. God's will. And if you talk to anybody in here, I'm sure if you ask anybody in here, that person that you ask would tell you, ...that they want to do the will of God. I don't think there's one person in here that says, you know what, I really don't care if I do God's will, I'm just going to do my thing. I think most Christians today would tell you that they really genuinely want to do the will of God. The question is, is how do you determine God's will? Uh, And it's something that I've been dealing with, I've been studying a lot about lately. I've been doing a lot of reading on this topic and it's kind of changed my, revolutionized my thinking on God's will. But how do you determine God's will? You know, in the past, some of the ways that I've determined God's will is I've looked for red flags. Anybody ever looked for red flags? I've looked for open doors. I'm sure some of you guys have looked for open doors. I've looked for inner peace, something that made me feel really good inside, really warm inside. I've looked for the path of least resistance. Hey, if, if there's no resistance, if this looks like the way to go, then maybe this is the way I ought to take because it's pretty easy. I've looked for security. I've looked for success. And thought, man, if there's going to be success in this, this must be God's will. Man, we look to a lot of different places for God's will. And my my understanding of Christians is that a lot of us don't really know how to determine God's will correctly. What is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my family? What is God's will for my career? What is God's will for my future? For my retirement, for my finances. Man, I'm sure you guys have asked all of those questions. And some of you right now are going through this time in your life, it's a transitional period, and you're saying, God, what is it that you want me to do? I don't know what direction to go. Man, when six years ago, six and a half years ago, I had God's will all planned out for my life. Uh I knew exactly what God wanted. I was in Bible college, I had just gotten married. We Becky and I had been married for a year. And we had moved uh, to Springfield, and I was going to finish my last year of Bible college. I had the formula all planned out. And I knew that if I did this, then God would do this, and then then he would do this, and then he would do this. I had it all figured out. And then I got a call one day, late May, mid-May, from a guy named John. And some of you know John. John called me up and said, Chris, have you ever thought about moving to Idaho? I said, as a matter of fact, John, I haven't thought about moving to idaho i mean who really grows up dreaming of moving to idaho not many people it's not high on most people's list of goals uh and i thought that's kind of a weird question to ask me john i i didn't know him very well john was the pastor here at the time and he was a young guy and 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 you know my first answer was no i don't really want to go to idaho um because i had everything planned out I knew that I wanted to finish school, I wanted to kind of cruise my senior year, work on my marriage, you know, that first year was really tough, Uh, and I wanted to work, I wanted to focus on that relationship, and I I wanted to go to a big church, and I started asking myself all these questions, does God want me to go to Idaho, does God want me to work at a small church, does he want me to work at a church that really can't even guarantee my salary past the first year? Does God want me to move thousands of miles away from my parents? Does God want me to move my wife thousands of miles away from her parents? These are all questions that I ask. Does God want me to put my education on hold to pursue ministry? And you know, my first answer to every one of those questions was a resounding no. This cannot be God's will. This was not a part of my formula. And the more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it, the more God gave me a burden for the state of Idaho. And in that moment, when I began to pray about it and really seek God's will, was the most confusing time of my life up to that point. Because I had a choice to make, and I knew that this was a divine moment in my life. That God was doing something, and this was a moment where I had to make a tough choice. I had determined, to determine if God wanted me in Idaho, or if God wanted me to stay and pursue a ministry somewhere else and and finish my education. Man, you talk about confusion. One moment, you got it all figured out. The next moment, you got somebody inviting you to come interview at a church in Idaho. And I realized at that point that God was obviously doing something big. And even though at first I didn't want to do it, I didn't even consider it. Most of you, I don't know, maybe you don't even know that. Some of you guys that have been here for six or seven years, I didn't even want it at the time. Uh, It was just something that God burdened on my heart. And he kind of gave me a desire to move. And um, the question that kept coming up was, what about this desire for me to finish school? What about this desire to stay close to home? What about this desire to work on my marriage? What do I do with all of this? It's so confusing. And I felt like if I made the wrong decision, and many of you probably have felt the same way in your career decisions or in your family decisions or whatnot, I felt like if I messed this decision up, it could send me on a path the rest of my life that was further and further away from God. Like somehow if I mess up plan A, then I'm on plan B, and then if I mess up Plan God's plan B, then I end up on plan C. You see where it goes? Further and further away from God. Man, you talk about a tough decision. This was not easy for me. And I had to really struggle with this and had, had to seek a lot of counsel, a lot of advice. What was God's will for me to do? And how could I know If I'm doing God's will, many of you are in here today and you say, how do I know I'm doing God's will? And I ran across a story in first Samuel. If you've got your Bibles, turn there with me, because there may be some verses that we read in first Samuel that aren't going to be up on the uh, up on the on the notes on the PowerPoint. But first Samuel, chapter 14, I want you to turn there with me. Uh, My experience with Christians is that uh, most of us truly want to do God's will. But many of us live in fear that we're going to mess it up. Many of us live in fear that we're somehow going to miss God's ultimate plan for our life. And so we live in a state of being paralyzed by doing nothing for God. Because as long as we do nothing, we can't mess things up, so to speak. And so a lot of us... We really struggle with this issue, and we don't know how to get the right answers. And so today, what, what I ran across was a story about Jonathan. And I'm sure many of you have read this story. I, I know I had read it before, but, man, I read this a couple weeks ago, and it kind of came to me in a new light about how I can discover God's will for my life. When you have those divine moments, and like I said, some of you are there right now where you've got to make a tough decision and you don't know what to do. You don't know which direction to go, and you're afraid that if you choose the wrong direction... That somehow you've messed up God's eternal plan for your life. Most of us will never admit that, what I just said. But many of us live in fear, secretly. That we will somehow screw up God's will for our life. So I ran across the story, 1 Samuel chapter 14. I'm going to set the story up for you because it's kind of long. It, 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 it goes through about 16 or 17 verses. So I'm not going to read the whole story to you. But I want to set up the story of, of, of Saul and Jonathan story like i said many of you have probably read before but here's the story saul had just been anointed king and he becomes this this powerful king and and his whole kingship was was basically uh, the center of it was battle he was he was constantly fighting the philistines he was constantly fighting to keep his throne and saul found himself in battle with the philistines and um the Philistines had uh, kind of an iron fist over, over the Israelites at that time. They had a lot of control. The Bible says that the Philistines owned or basically had all of the blacksmiths in the land of Israel. So if, if the army of Israel wanted to have swords, if they wanted to have weapons, they had to go to the Philistine blacksmiths to have them sharpened or to have them made. And so this is the kind of rule that the Philistines had over the Israelites at that time and the Philistines were warriors we know that Goliath came from the Philistines we know that these were mighty mighty warriors they they really knew how to go into battle and so the Israelites kind of lived in fear a lot of times of the Philistines and Saul found himself in the middle of a battle with the Philistines and one day he decided he's going to go to war with the Philistines and he, he can uh, he, he seeks the advice of Samuel, who was the prophet at that time. And Samuel said to Saul, Saul, wait for seven days before you go to battle. In seven days, I will come to you. We will sacrifice a, a bull or whatever it was, and we will get the blessings of God. But don't do anything until I get there. Saul is patient. He waits seven days. Samuel doesn't show up. Saul begins to lose patience and decides, well, Samuel hasn't showed up in a week when he said he would. And so I'm going to take things into my own hands. And so he, he gave up the sacrifice to God. And, and in the process, Samuel shows up. And Samuel says, Saul, you fool. You should not have done this. And because you did this, you are no longer going to be king. Right now, God is looking for your replacement. Your son, Jonathan, your ancestors, none of them will be kings. Your line is going to end with you. And so Saul was obviously very distraught. And at this point, Jonathan, his son... This was way before David ever showed up and became really good friends with Jonathan. Um, Jonathan was already off with another group of soldiers, and he was ready to fight the Philistines. And Saul basically had lost everything. He had lost his will to fight. He had lost his courage. He had lost, you know, basically his throne. He was a lame duck king, and he showed up and uh, he showed up and and with Jonathan. And basically, what happens is instead of going to battle, Saul chickens out. They get to the battle scene where Jonathan already is, and they have 600 soldiers, 600 army men. And they come up against a Philistine army that had thousands of men. They knew they were outnumbered. They knew they didn't have enough. They didn't have enough weapons. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 14 that they were exactly two weapons, two swords, between all 600 men of the Israelite army. Imagine fighting against the Philistine army with two swords. And the two that had the swords, Saul and Jonathan. So Saul gets to, gets to the battle scene with his group of men, all 600 of them. And what do they do? They camp out under a pomegranate tree. Saul became a chicken. Saul was afraid to fight. He lost his will to fight. And Jonathan sees what has happened to his father and decides that God has blessed Israel God has given them the promise of victory and he's going to do whatever it takes to get victory over the Philistines. So, setting the story up a little bit further, Jonathan says to his armor-bearer, "Armor-bearer, let's go. I've got one sword. Let's go and we'll fight the Philistines and we'll take them on and see what God does." And so in the process, Jonathan has this divine moment where he has to make a tough decision because his dad is not making the decisions that he needs to make. He's not a wise man at this point, and he's chickened out. And so Jonathan says, we've got to do something. God has promised us victory, and we've got to take this victory if we really, really want it. And so Jonathan, in the process, learns how to understand, how to comprehend God's will for his life. Look in 1 looking Samuel chapter 14. So you're in this point in your life. Setting that story up and, 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 and tying it into your life right now. What are the tough decisions, without answering out loud, what are the tough decisions that you've got to make right now? Maybe it's a career move. Maybe it's some decisions with your family. Maybe it's a, a selling your house or getting a new job or, or uh, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe it's health, health issues that you're, you're dealing with. And you're just sitting here saying, God, will you please reveal yourself? Show your will to me because I don't know what to do. Maybe you're in one of those divine moments where you've got to make one of the toughest decisions of your life. And if you're not there right now, you've probably been there in the past. And I can guarantee you, you're going to have divine moments in the future. And one of the things that I'm going to try to help you guys with today is to understand how you can make the best of those divine moments, how you can discover God's will in these situations. Number one, if you want to make the best of divine moments, number one, uh, realize that God's will involves the freedom to make choices. God's will involves the freedom to make choices. Aren't you glad that God didn't create us as robots? Aren't you glad that we get to choose what direction we want to go in life? We get to choose who we want to marry. We get to choose what house we want to buy. We want to. We get to choose what kind of car we want to buy. We get to choose all of these things. Man, life would sure be dull if we were all robots. If we all, God programmed us and told us we're going to do specific things and there is no, uh, there's no, there's no, Doing our, making our own choices. Man, I sure am glad that we, we get to make our own choices. First Samuel chapter 14. Man, Jonathan realized that he had the freedom to make some choices. First Samuel chapter 14 says, Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go up. Uh, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. I'm convinced, guys, that, that most people... We miss out on God's will. We miss out on some of the greatest opportunities of our life because of fear. We're afraid of making the wrong choice. I can tell you this. When when we had to make the choice to move up to Idaho, that was the biggest decision of my life up until that point. Because I didn't know how it was going to turn out. I didn't know what the future held. And I'll tell you this, man. I was more afraid of making the wrong decision than you can ever imagine. I talked to pastors, I talked to my youth pastor, I talked to my father-in-law, I talked to my dad, I talked to friends at school, I talked to professors, I called up Pastor John, I called up all these people because I was in such fear of messing up God's will that I almost missed out on a huge opportunity for my life. And some of us guys, we, we miss out on the opportunities that God brings our way because we're afraid of somehow messing up God's eternal plan for our life. And if we do that, then there's going to be repercussions, there's going to be punishments, and our life is never going to be the same and we're never going to be in the center of God's will. We live in fear of that a lot of times. And like I said, most of us probably will never admit that, but a lot of times we live our lives that way. But we live in a permissive society, don't we? We love to say yes, you may not like to tell your kids yes, but you like it when your kids tell you yes, don't you? You like it when your boss says yes when you go to him for a raise. You like it when your wife says yes, when your, your husband says yes. Let's all say that word on the count of three. One, two, three. Yes. We like, it sounds good, doesn't it? We like to hear those three letters, Y-E-S. But somehow that doesn't, in our lives, that doesn't um, work. In our theology of god you guys ever realized that we think that god is some kind of cosmic killjoy like he wants to punish us and if we ever want anything in our life like selfishly or just for our own selves then god must want the complete opposite any of you ever thought that way like when i was in bible college I, 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 we had a lot of kids that were studying to be missionaries, and some of the kids' students didn't know where God was going to send them. And you'd hear some people say, oh, I never want to go to that place, and I never want to go to that place. One of the places I said, I never want to move to Texas. I don't want to move to Texas. It's too hot there. And the in-laws are there and all these things. And everybody would say, what's the first thing that people say? The first, people, the, the first thing that people say is, if you say you don't want to go there, that's exactly where God's going to send you. Why is our theology work that way? We don't have, we don't see God as being a permissive God. We see him as whatever we want. God probably wants the exact opposite. So if I'm looking for God's will in my life, I had to look inside and say, this is what I want. So this must be what God wants. Look in Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter two, verses 15 to 17. I'm going to kind of show you something that why that's kind of a wrong way of thinking it says this then the lord god took the man and put him in the garden of eden to tend and keep it and the lord god commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden you may freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die let me ask you this question how many uh, how many uh knows are in that fray or in that those two verses There's one no. You see, we see God as a God that says, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do this. And if you do do this, then there's going to be punishment. There's going to be repercussions. When God created man in his initial perfect state, he said, man, Adam, you have the freedom to do whatever you want. There are thousands and thousands of yeses, but one no. God said, Adam, if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, then you will surely die. Anything else? It's fair game. You can go fishing whenever you want. You can go hunting whenever you want. You can sunbathe whenever you want. You can hang out with me whenever you want. You can do nothing all day if you want. Whatever Adam wanted to do, it was okay. As long as he didn't eat of that one tree. Somehow we look at it and we twist it. Like there's only one thing that we can do, and everything else is wrong in God's eyes. And somehow, We make our decisions in life very difficult. We make them a lot harder than they should be. For Jonathan, would it have been wrong for Jonathan to sit around and wait on his dad to initiate battle? Because his dad was the commander. His dad was king. No, it would not have been wrong for Jonathan to wait for his dad to take lead. But Jonathan realized that this was a divine moment and Jonathan knew that God had promised victory. And so Jonathan made a choice. He said, I'm going to take my armor my armor bearer and I'm going to go into battle. He made a tough choice. Some of you guys here right now, you have to make decisions. You have to make choices in your life. And you say, Chris, what if I make the wrong choice? What happens if I do the wrong thing? What? How do I know if I'm in God's will? How do I know what the right choice is? This is my answer. This is what revolutionized my way of thinking in the last couple of weeks. Because I was one of those people that said, God's will is 100% perfect, and if you do anything that goes against that, you've totally messed up. This is what's revolutionized my thinking. Psalm chapter 37, 4 is a very special verse to me right now. This This is my challenge to you. What is your passion in life? If God is your number one consuming passion you can trust the passions of your heart. Psalm chapter 37, 4 says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Does that mean if I desire, if if I delight myself in the Lord and I desire to to win the the Powerball lottery that I'm going to get it because that's what I want? No. The Bible says that if you are completely surrendered and sold out to God and passionate about him, he puts the very desires in your heart. Maybe you want to do a career change. Maybe you're sick of your job and you want to do something different and you just don't know if it's the right thing to do, but you are completely sold out to God. You are completely on fire for him and all you want to do is what he wants for you to do. And you're sitting here saying, man, I really hate my job. I want to quit it or whatever. And I just don't know if it's the right thing to do. The Bible says if you delight yourself in the Lord, he gives you that desire as long as you're taking care of your family, you're being responsible in the decisions that you make, you can trust the passions of your heart. Man, isn't that comforting? Doesn't that feel good to know that, you know what, I can do what I want. I can make whatever choices I want as long as God is number one. Because God's not going to give you passions that go against his word. God's not going to give you desires that are anti-Scripture. As Christians, if you want to know God's will put God number one, I'm gonna give you four S's, four S words, four, four S's. <laughs> um, four S's and you can know that if you've got these four S's that you can discover God's will. First of all, you've gotta be saved. I know there's no blanks in there, right? it somewhere in your margin. First of all, you've gotta be saved. Second of all, are you sanctified, set apart for God? Sanctified, saved, set apart, sanctified, set apart, same thing. Spirit led, are your choices spirit led? Are you letting the Holy Spirit guide you? And then number four, and almost as important as any of the others, as important as the others, is are you surrendered to God? If you are saved, sanctified, Spirit-led, and surrendered, you can trust the desires of your heart. Man, that sure does feel good to me. Because I can do whatever I want. And I can't screw up. I cannot mess up God's will if He is number one and all those things fall into place. So understand that discovering or making the best of your divine moment Allows you the opportunity, the freedom to make choices. Number two, making the most of divine nomads. Number two, God's will, understand that God's will involves taking initiative. God's will involves taking initiative. Look again at 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. It says, now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistine's garrison that is on the other side. You see, Jonathan found himself fighting for an army, fighting for a king that had lost all will to fight. They were paralyzed. There were 600 men that showed up to the battle and they were all scared. And so what did they do? Absolutely nothing. They camped out under a pomegranate tree. And I don't even know what a pomegranate tree looks like, but I'm assuming it's a big tree and this is the first time, this is a first for me. This is a pomegranate. And I'm told that inside these pomegranates, you cut them open and there are seeds inside. I've never seen one of these. I've never eaten one. It's an ugly fruit. But anyways, I, Sherry just told me last night she had a pomegranate. And so I was like, "Oh, cool, that's going to go with my message. So Saul camps out under a pomegranate tree because he's afraid. Saul goes from being proactive, saying, I'm going to take things into my own hands. And I'm not going to wait for Samuel anymore because he said he'd be here in a week. To saying, I can't do anything. I've lost everything I have. I've lost all future. I've lost basically my throne. And so Saul goes from proactive to non-active. Man, many times we do the same thing. Had a friend actually went to this, went to this church a couple of years ago. His name was Nate. Many of you probably know Nate as well, Nathan. Um, I talked to him and asked him if it was okay for me to share his story because I remember he was working with us in the teens. Nate was one of these guys, if you don't know who he was, uh, he was one of those guys you really envy. He had a Bible college education. He was very smart, very sharp, very articulate, very handsome. Uh, He had a fiancé. He had a a, a great future. He had a great family. He had a, a lot of opportunities to serve God. But Nate got to the point where he was so frustrated over not knowing what God wanted that he sat and waited. For two years, he sat for God and waited for God To give him an absolute 100% guarantee, this is what I want you to do. And I remember going to Nate one day. I always thought Nate would be really well in ministry. He would do well as a pastor or or as a youth pastor or whatever. And I said, Nate, I know you don't know what you want to do, but do something. Just do something. Take initiative. See, Nate would sit there and wait for God, and he waited for two years. And over those two years, when God was silent in this area, when he didn't make it painfully obvious... He felt like God was more and more quiet, and he was more and more uncertain of what God wanted him to do. I said, Nate, why don't you just do something? So here's this army, the Philistine, uh, the, the Israelite army, and they're afraid of moving forward. And so instead of doing anything, instead of taking initiative, they wait. And Jonathan says, I'm not waiting anymore. I'm going to take initiative, and I'm going to do something about this, And because God has promised us the victory. And Nate, and when, with his story, his dilemma wasn't, oh, I've got to make a choice between right and wrong. Because that's an easy choice we know right from wrong it's those choices where we don't know we have we have a we have an opportunity to choose between all these things that are good choices those are the difficult decisions you know for me when i was in bible college i could have said "Oh, i'm going to stay here and i'm going to go to bible college i'm going to finish my senior year or i could go to idaho they were both really good decisions that's when they're tough some of you guys are going through that right now you've got to make some decisions and they all seem like they could be right they all could be good decisions Let me tell you this, Jonathan knew that doing nothing would accomplish what? Nothing. He knew that sitting around waiting, nobody taking initiative was going to accomplish nothing. They could camp camp out under the tree for a year for for all he knew. But Jonathan said, I'm going to take initiative. Erwin McManuson, man, this guy is a great writer. If you've never read any of his books, I would encourage you to pick up a couple books of his. But he said this, and it's on your notes right there. It says, do what you uh, know you should do and you will know what to do god clarifies in the midst of obedience not beforehand it is fair to say that god informs us on a need to know basis there's one word in there spoken three times and i want you to circle the word do do what you know you should do and you will know what to do in other words when you're confused about god's will take initiative Don't sit and wait for God to make everything 100% clear because he doesn't always work that way. So take initiative. Number three, making the most of divine moments, you have to understand that divine moments are filled with uncertainty. Divine moments are filled with uncertainty. I want to read you guys a little story. A young woman brought her fiancé home to meet her parents. After dinner, her mother told her father to find out about the young man. The father invited the fiancé to his study, to study for a talk. So what are your plans, the father asked the young man. I'm a biblical scholar, he replied. A biblical scholar, huh? The father said, admirable, but what will you do to provide a nice house for my daughter to live in? I will study, the young man replied, and God will provide for us. And how will you buy her a beautiful engagement ring, such as she deserves, asked the father. I will concentrate on my studies, the young man replied. God will provide for us. And children, asked the father, how will you support children? Don't worry, sir, God will, rep- will provide, replied the fiance. The conversation proceeded like this, and each time the father questioned, the young idealist insisted that God would provide. Later, the mother asked, how did it go, honey? The father answered, he has no job, no plans, and he thinks that I'm God. <laughs> okay? Man, life is full of uncertainties. We never know what direction God is going to take us. We have to, uh, we have to trust that God can bless and God can work in the, in, the, in the midst of uncertainty. Look at 1 Samuel 14, verse 6. It says, uh, Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows or the Philistines. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether uh, by many or by few. Most of us here... Actually, look at that verse, and I look at what Jonathan had to say right there, and that doesn't seem like a guy that's real certain of the outcome. He said, let's go over to the Philistines, and maybe God will intercede. Maybe God will show up and do something cool. That's a man that doesn't have all the answers, but he took initiative, and he worked in spite of his uncertainties. A lot of us were living the American dream right now, man. We're pursuing, pursuing happiness, we've got the, the, the two and a half children, the, the three cars, the, the house with four bedrooms and two baths, and we've got the retirement plan, we've got the investments, we've got everything that we want. That's the American dream. And a lot of us are living that. And somehow that spills over into our theology of God, that um, if we're going to do God's will, then there have to be certainties then God has to make himself so clear that I can't possibly mess it up. And somehow, we've kind of missed how God works. And it's warped our beliefs of God's will. We think that there are always guarantees and that we always have to have a sense of security in God's will. Let me tell you this. Certainty and safety are not central to God's will. I mean, you think about the apostles. Did they do the will of the Father? Yeah. How did it end for them? not very good. Most of them died as martyrs of their faith. You look at people all throughout history, the, the, the people that God used, and for many of them, times were uncertain. And for Jonathan, he didn't know how this was all going to work out. And so if you guys are looking for absolutes, looking for certainties in God's will, sometimes he does work that way. But most of the time, he doesn't give us all these certainties and let us know exactly how it's going to work out. Um, and so... Here's Jonathan. He basically says to his armor bearer, hey, let's go to the Philistines and we'll pick a fight and we'll see if God shows up. How gutsy is that? That's not very smart either, is it? But Jonathan trusted God. He had a burden to win this battle and to take initiative in spite of the uncertainties. And we know that God did show up. We're going to see that a little bit later, how God showed up. And so for those of you who are looking for, for complete answers, for all the answers, before you act on God's will, man, you're probably never going to find them. Um, to live your life in God's will is a life full of uncertainties. And uh, I want to read a, a, a story <clears throat> of a student in our youth ministry. His name's Mike. Um, and I'm so proud of Mike. One of the things that we try to do in, in Watermark is to develop leaders. And to develop students that will lead and take initiative and Mike Mike came to me a couple weeks ago and I asked him if I could share his story and he typed it out for me Uh, but Mike came to me a couple weeks ago and said Chris uh, about a month ago he said Chris I really want to go on a missions trip but I don't know what I want to do I'm thinking about going to Mexico but I'm not really sure how it's all gonna work out I was wondering if you could help me out a little bit and he wanted to plan this whole thing I said, okay, Mike, if you want to take it, you want to take the reins, go for it. And this is what Mike had to say about all the uncertainties that he had to face of setting up this trip. The whole idea for the trip came from me trying to find another option than Nicaragua. Uh, I really enjoyed Nicaragua last year, but I just wasn't feeling the same call to go there that I had the year before. So I started to explore other options. I had been looking for missions trips on the Internet with various groups, and I wasn't finding anything that, was really, that would really pull at my heart. Then my mom and I were talking about it one day and somehow brought up the Noe Center down in Mexico. I didn't even know where Morelia was when we first started talking about it. I had no idea how much anything would cost or when we could possibly go or if we could go. There were so many questions and things that I had no idea how they would turn out. I eventually called up Pastor Mike to ask him a few questions. He helped me out a ton and gave me a way to get in contact with Brian, who runs the Noe Center, but I still uh, didn't have any of my questions answered. I had felt the tug of my heart to do something with the Noe Center ever since my mom, and I talked about it, but I just kept getting stronger and stronger. So I emailed Brian and asked him all the questions I had been wondering. When could I come? When, uh, where would, what would we eat? Where would we sleep? Uh, What would we do? I can only imagine what Brian was thinking on the other end of that email. I asked him about 15 questions and I knew he would have an answer to, but I must have uh, asked him another 15 questions that I had no idea if he would be able to answer then. Brian responded and then I got together with Alyssa, Miss O'Brien, my mom, and Chris to discuss it all. Uh, When we came up with another 15 to 20 questions that I didn't have answers to, there was so much that I didn't no, but none of it would have happened if I hadn't taken the first step and just asked. All I needed to do was let myself be used of God, uh, be used, and God would uh, put me in the right place. He surrounded me with all the right people to help me and, um, that I needed. I'm sorry, I'm this getting choppy. And he gave me the connection to the person that could answer my questions. I thank God every day that he gave me the courage to step out and take a chance. I'm not saying that I have all the issues worked out um, for the trip, but but the load is much smaller. I've recently emailed Brian again asking him still more questions, but the trip is becoming closer to a reality for the whole youth. I am miles ahead of where I was when I started, but it would have never happened if I hadn't taken the step of faith. Here's a 16-year-old kid who's basically planning out a missions trip for a youth group. I just turned him loose. The kid just wants to do it. Does he have all the answers? No, but he's got a passion and God is is working on his heart and that's what he wants to do. So he's moving forward. Does he have all the answers? No, there are lots of uncertainties, but he's moving forward as God gives him the desire and God is working things out. So understand that if you want to know God's will, there's not always going to be certainties. Number four, divine moments. If you want, if you want to make the most of divine opportunities, divine moments are filled with risks. 1 Samuel 14, verses 8 and 9 says this, Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If I say thus to us, if they say thus to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. And uh, the verse should have gone on. Um, Let me look at verse 9, verse 10. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up, For the Lord has delivered them into our hands, and this will be a sign to us." So basically, this is what Jonathan says. We're going to climb up this hill, we're going to show ourselves, and if they tell us to come up, that means we're coming to battle. That's God's sign that we go to battle. If they say, wait, we'll come to you, that means we retreat because God is not in this. Now I'm no military expert. In fact, whenever I play uh, paintball and laser tag with teenagers, I get whooped every time. So. Don't get me wrong. I don't really know a whole lot about combat, but does this seem a little bit weird to anybody that Jonathan says, Hey, you know what? Let's show ourselves. And then when they see us, we'll do one of two things. Uh, isn't the idea of combat, the element of surprise, isn't that kind of important? Well, Jonathan said, man, let's just show ourselves. We'll see what God does. Jonathan took a risk. Once again, he took a risk. He was to the point at this point, in the battle he was to the point where god had to do something god was either going to say you're i'm in this or i'm not either go forward or retreat and jonathan was completely taking a risk in doing this um and jonathan chose to become visible he showed himself and you know what most of us we like our anonymity i'm having a hard time getting that out anonymity we like to be invisible in church as christians Many of us, uh, you've heard the 80-20 rule, 20% of the the people in churches do 80% of the work. That's because usually 80% of the people don't want to have responsibility. They don't want too much expected of them. Do you know the biggest hindrance to a small church, what it is? The lack of invisibility. See, when you're a visitor in a small church, a lot of times everybody knows this is your first time there. You see, you can go to a big church that runs five or six or 700 people or more, and you can kind of just blend and be invisible. And nobody may know that you slipped in the back doors. But you come to a church our size, and people know you're visiting. That's the biggest, the biggest problem with small churches is, is, is people can't just be invisible. But God doesn't want us to be invisible. You see, a lot of us, we, we just want to kind of blend. and We don't want too much asked of us. Here's Jonathan, he says, you know what, I'm making myself visible, I'm making myself available, I'm taking a risk here. See, most of us never get a lot of the blessings of God because we go our whole Christian lives being invisible. Not showing ourselves, not making ourselves available. This is my challenge to you guys, make yourself available. See what God can do, what his will is, if you would volunteer for a ministry. If you would surrender yourself to God's will. If you would give up a couple hours of your week, see what God can do. Take a risk, just like Jonathan did. Um, And some of you guys are like, well, what if I take a risk and and I mess it up? Are all of your risks going to pay off? No. Is everything always going to work out perfectly? God never promised that. God never promised us a life of safety and security. He never promised us that we wouldn't mess up. He never promised us that we wouldn't have setbacks. And so, the question is, is, what happens when I mess up? You pick yourself back up, and you start over. You keep moving forward. You keep taking risks for God. Jonathan did the same thing. Um, and living a life of God's will is full of risks. Um, and it's not always going to pay off. There are going to be times that you fail. But check out what Thomas Edison once wrote. He said this, If I find 10,000 ways something won't work, I haven't failed. I am not discouraged because every wrong attempt discarded is often a step forward." So you may, you, may, you, you may look at your setbacks and say those are failures, but actually what they do is they take you a little bit closer to what you want to do. You, you now understand, this isn't what I want to do, I, maybe I need to go a different direction. Babe Ruth once said, every strike brings me closer to the next home run. So let me tell you this, God's looking for risk takers. God is looking for people that will make themselves available. You want to understand God's ultimate will for your life? You've got to be surrendered and available to him. Number five and lastly, uh, to make the most of divine moments, understand that those moments are filled with rewards. You've all heard the phrase before, with little risk is little reward. Well, if you take a risk... A lot of time, there are going to be rewards. First Samuel chapter 14, verses 13 and th- to 16. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. The enemy fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about a half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it was a very great trembling. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked and there was the multitude melting away and they went here and there. The Bible says is that Jonathan took a risk. He's, he made himself visible. They went up because the, the, the Philistines said, come on up, we'll show you a lesson. Jonathan goes up, he shows them a lesson. They killed 20 people with one sword. Think about that. He's probably throwing rocks. He's probably whatever he can, but they killed 20 people within a span of about one acre. Or was it half an acre? Either way, they kill 20 men. And what does this do? The other Philistines look down in this little field and they see all these dead men. And they think, oh, man, the Israelites must be coming, all of them. And we're probably going to be outmanned if we've got 20 men that are dead. And so they go into mass hysteria. They go into panic. They start killing themselves. Isn't it cool how God works? I mean, it's not cool that people kill themselves. But when God intervenes, when you take a risk, it's like, I don't even have to do anything. I mean, these guys are just killing themselves. They start running, there's just mass chaos, they start retreating, and all of a sudden, all these Israelites that were afraid, they see the chaos going on in the Philistine camp, and they all of a sudden get courage, and they start fighting, and they start chasing the Philistines and killing them. And the people that had deserted the uh, Israelite army and went and fought with the Philistines, they came back and fought with the Israelites. The people that had chickened out of of the Israelite army, that were in their caves and in their homes and in their holes or whatever they were doing, they were coming out of hiding, and they were fighting. You see, Jonathan got the reward after he took the risk. Did Jonathan ever become king? No. I think Jonathan would have made a a much better king than Saul. But Jonathan never got all of of the, uh, the glory. He never got all of the fame. Jonathan never became king, the leader of the nation. But Jonathan experienced the rewards of God. Because he took a risk. Because he took initiative. I love the story of Moses. If you look in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, 26 and 27, the story of Moses, here's the guy that had everything. Had it made when he was a kid. He was, he was raised in, in, in the kingdom of Pharaoh. He had the best education, the best clothes, the best toys. Um, he just had everything. And he was a guy that sacrificed everything for the rewards of heaven, for the rewards of God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26 says, He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of the Messiah than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to the great reward that God would give him. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt. He was not afraid of the king. Moses kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. The Bible says that Moses got an eternal reward because that was what he was living for. He was living for God. And sometimes if you guys want to know God's will, you gotta take risks. You gotta take initiative. You gotta make choices that are tough. You gotta to not be afraid of the uncertainties that lie ahead. Don't let it paralyze you. Um, some of you guys, like I said, right now we're in the midst of some, some difficult situations, some struggles and you just don't know what God wants you to do, how many times have you guys asked that question? God, what is your will for me to do in this situation? God, what is it that you want me to do? How many times have you asked that in your life? How many times have you asked that in the last week? I love this verse. First, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. See, Jonathan made a choice, and his, his consuming passion was his love for God. And the Bible says, you want to know God's will? Anything within Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, if God is number one, anything that's true, anything that's noble, anything that's just, anything that's pure, Anything that's lovely, good report—if it's praiseworthy, it's all fair game. I think this is the coolest thing, and and, and hopefully you understand where I'm going with this. I, I just I just know this: if God is number one, you don't have to struggle.